So when I lost a lot, instead of I stop, I think that I know the company quite well. So I double down and borrow and then try to reinvest with a very short period of time to gain back from the investment that I have been lost. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And I want to thank you for joining this mission. And today is November 29th. And for the world of investors, we woke up to the news of the passing of Charlie Munger at the age of 99 years old. So for this episode, I dedicate it to Charlie Munger, who gave us all so much wisdom. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Dr. Jitipon, or we're going to call you Dr. Joke. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Good afternoon, Andrew. Good to have you with us. And I'm going to introduce you to the audience. Dr. Joke heads macro and wealth research at CGS CIMB Securities Thailand. He develops actionable investment ideas, independent economic analysis, and asset allocation strategies. Over the course of two decades, Dr. Joke has worked with securities banks and asset management companies. Why don't you take a minute and tell us a little bit about the unique value that you're bringing to this world. I see you in a lot of places doing so many things. Tell us a little bit about what makes you unique in this world. <laughs> so basically, I'm not that kind of unique by myself. So I, I kind of believe that every investor have to have a little bit unique background. So therefore, it's combined to yourself. I come from a quite a different background. So basically, I have been studying Bangkok, Thailand. So I'm studying statistics. So basically, right now, it's called data science. But back to my day, it's just a statistics and a finance kind of thing. So it's the combination of like mathematics and also like the accounting, stuff like that. So basically, I just view the number different compared to other people's, okay? My first job is a, a security broker on the marketing. So basically, I try to sell stock and uh, try to use my knowledge to understand stock better than somebody else. But I just realized that, you know, when you have studied the data for some certain period, you would lean yourself toward like so-called technical analysis more than the fundamental analysis. And you would are more to be like a, a trader compared to like uh, the stock analyst, stuff like that. Therefore, I like to, you know, change my career path and I try to make it more like me or don't like me. So I met the another, you know, different business here in Bangkok, which is the FX trading from the bank. So mm. I just, so fascinating by the environment of trade, the FX, the interest rate. So I left uh, security and rejoined the bank. Okay, I work as a quantitative analyst for like some period of times. Back then, I also studied the master degree and also the part time doing the doctoral degree as well as uh, working at the bank. Okay, afterward, I just feel like you know when you studied 
the information about the market. Okay, and you have the theoretical point of view of the market, but most of the time when you look at the market participant or you know the market analyst or even economists, they tell you another story that you don't feel like you know it attached to what you feel. Okay, so I just in another different way. Okay, maybe I will be the one that tell the narrative or the story, and people might be you know. Get into what is right or what is wrong on a different perspective. Therefore, I changed another job to be like economist and market strategist. Change the job to be like more provocative or you know more transparent to the market. And I have been working as this role for like almost ten years already. Interesting. What What did you study for your PhD? What was your topic for your dissertation? Oh, for the topic of my dissertation, you don't believe it. So basically, what I have been study and what I feel like more interesting on is the return and how to decompose the return. Basically, it's like pharma and French three five factors stuff like that back to my day in nineteen ninety three stuff like that. Mm. And then afterward, I just you know. Building up for that model and try to use it for Asian equity, but back into my days and at that I studied the the PhD. So the interesting topic in Thailand back then was the governance. Okay, so we just developed the good governance kind of scheme. So therefore, my researchers, you know, asked me that you know, you could be the one that you know try to decompose what. Constitute the performance by the governance itself. Therefore, what I have been doing back then is like try to make the relationship between corporate governance and the equity return that the stock will give to the investor. And I guess you know at that time corporate governance was kind of a new thing, or let's say a strongly promoted thing that was coming up and coming. And Thailand was moving up in the corporate governance scale. Maybe at that time it would have had a bigger Impact than it does now because everybody's doing it. Or I, I wonder what was the findings that you had, and like what has changed over the years. I think nothing much changed over the years <laughs> by definitions of the governance. So basically, we just changed the name from just covenant to be like the ESG one. That is a big part that you know <laughs> that I found in Bangkok. But basically, back into my so. The governance is the the biggest thing that people care, not the environment and not the social stuff like that. And the debate in the past was it you know just the corporate PR kind of thing or it helped in reality. So there are going to be the couple debates about just the spending on the governance or maybe just the sustainable factor. What I found is that okay, so in the return perspective, basically when you have Good governance is like the insurance against the backdrop or the downturn. Or if you have, you know, the event or financial crisis that will trigger global sell-off and your stock will gonna affect the governance will help you reduce that kind of risk. Okay, in terms of equity returns. Another thing is that when you have a good governance or maybe you know stronger than normal governance. So basically. Another risk that you can be another risk that can be reduced by having a good governance right now and back then is that you can attach more liquidity into your stock. 
So mm-hmm. basically, the weather will drop significantly when you have uh, the event of bricks. Okay. Back then, it's worse. Right now, it's worse. But right now, when you change it to be like the ESG, so maybe you have to like care more about the environment, care more about the social impact that could harm your firm. So uh, it's kind of it's kind of developed and uh, everlasting. Yeah, the ESG movement has really gone out of control, I'd say, at this point. And they attach to governance. Governance is a very different thing. You know, governance is is a way that we make sure that minority shareholders are represented when they invest in, a, in an individual stock. And some different groups' opinions about, about environmental and social issues can be very different. And it's too bad that those things kind of got caught together. But, you know, now Great. it seems like it's... Uh, it's out of control. And in fact, I was just doing a little study on the U.S. market and seeing, you know, the number of delistings in the U.S. market's incredible. 20 mm. years of delisting. So about 1997 was the first year where U.S. had more delistings than new listings. And, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley came in as a legislation after the 2000 crash 2008 crash, we had, uh, what was it, Dodd-Frank regulations that just made it harder. And then you've got all of the ESG regulations that are being put on top of listed companies that many companies think it's not worth it anymore. And I think Mm -hmm. hopefully, I was trying to finish that research. I couldn't get it done in time for finishing it today, but I was trying to use it as an example to say, be careful, Thailand, if you over-regulate with ESG or any other things, you disincentivize people from wanting to list in the stock market because it's just overwhelming, you know. Mm. I'm curious, high stock markets, you know, just hasn't really been a great performer for a long time. And, and I'm wondering, like, on the one hand, you've got a group of people who think that the high stock market's kind of over. There's no future. There's no competitive yeah. advantage. There's no future. There's nothing. And of course, you've got another group of people that say, just when all hope is lost is the time to invest. Mm. Thailand's been down for a long time and now everybody's out of the market and nobody feels good about the market and therefore it's a time to invest. I'm just curious, what what are your thoughts on the Thai market, you know, these days? Yeah, to me, it's like, you know, I've been working as a top-down manager or maybe like top-down strategist for quite some time. So most of the time when I have the question like this, so I would ask, you know, the investor first, what do you like to have from the investing? Okay. In Thailand, there are different kind of investment. So if you try to find, you know, the, the growth company, stuff like that, you can find in Bangkok. Basically, I could tell you that even though if it's not Bangkok, you can try to find from, you know, some other market in Southeast mm. Asia. Okay. You can find an extreme growth company. It's not like in the US, the environment is, is kind of different. Okay. But if you try to find something that, you know, very broad or can be diversified or maybe like when we promote the ESG by a lot. So basically we try to shape the company to be a little bit more like a sustainable firm, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it reduces the risk by its nature. So basically I would say that, okay, 
if you want to find, you know, the very growth or hyper growth company, so basically there will be no place for them here in Bangkok. It's not easy. <laughs> Maybe not in next decade. It cannot be. You know, it's like there are one narrative that attached to my idea is like you cannot, you know, grow the unicorn everywhere in the world. There only some place that they can grow and they can, you know, become not mythical, become like uh, the stock that you can buy. But in Thailand, you cannot have the unicorn, but you can have like the phoenix. So the thing is that the difference is when you have the company that operate for quite some time and then, okay, there are some change that happen to the economy. So in Thailand, the difference is we are very open to the change. Hmm. If we find some change that would attach to your business or our business. So basically, we try our best to change ourselves. Okay. And you can see from, you know, for example, like the banking in Bangkok. So mm-hmm. basically just the banking. If you compare the banking in Bangkok and banking in, you know, Hong Kong or maybe in the Singapore or China. So basically the degree of change or, you know, eager toward the change is quite different. Here in Bangkok, I think many banks know that, you know, there will be a dinosaur in the future if they do not change, they change a lot and they embrace mm. any, you know, technology. Okay. But it's just the bank. So basically what can they become? It's just like the unicorn. It's not the unicorn. Mm. It's just like the phoenix that, you know, you die first and then, okay, after you die, you reborn and uh, you become like another good investment for investor. Yeah, I mean, banks have definitely come a long way. When I started as an analyst in 1993, I was a bank analyst for my first 10 years. And banks were, you know, they were pretty confident and then they crashed and then they recovered and then they they rebuilt themselves. So they're definitely, that's the case. As an investor, I tend to stay away from banks now after knowing all about them because there really are tough commodity businesses. When one improves, the other one improves. Plus they're basically, nowadays a bank is, you know, tends to be kind of an arm of the government implementing government policies related to KYC and tracking people and privacy and all kinds of stuff. So it just makes it harder for any one bank to like massively outperform. But I do think it's definitely an industry that has reinvented itself. And banking in Thailand is very, you know, it's it's pleasant. It's not that painful. But when I think about banking in the US and other places, I can sometimes feel very, very painful. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Mm. I think to me, it's worst investment ever is I broke when I very first job. Okay. So basically, it's kind of different in the sense that when you're going to the investment world, so you thinking about the investment as, you know, as the theory of how to grow it and, uh, you know, the way to grow is when you know about the company or you know the insight about how the stock will go up or go down, stuff like that. Mm. But it's not that true if you cannot, you know, reduce your regular bias. My worst investment is when, you know, I know many things about the stock. One stock, I could not mention uh, mm. <laughs> the name in the program. So I just know, you know, the 
CEO of the company know the management, know what they are doing, okay, and know how they do the business and the the news will go now. So it's like the very inside the trading stuff like that, okay. But when the market come to like moving in the different environment that I have been knowing, so basically I just change my idea from you know the investor to be like the glamour narrative. So when I lost a lot, instead of I stop. I think that I know the company quite well, so I double down and borrow, and then try to reinvest with a very short period of time to gain back from the the investment that I have been lost. So that is my worst investment when I think about the investment as a gambling. So most of the time, it's like you went to the casino and when you lost, okay, you double down it, and you will be. To me, a hundred percent sure that eventually you will broke, and I have been. <laughs> yeah, I lost all my saving since you know twenty. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. And how would you describe the lessons that you learned from that? Okay, the lesson is that you know, investment is not about what you know or what you don't know. Yeah, to me, investing is more about you would know yourself. And you know what you are doing, okay? When you you know maybe sometime, maybe sometime. For example, for me, yeah. When you want to like invest, so basically it's not like that. You put the money hundred percent, and next day you get a two hundred percent, okay? It's not like that, okay? If you cannot you know control yourself and think about investment as a gambling. So it's like when you go to the casino, and even though you feel like you want to make the money, but eventually, if you don't know yourself, okay, eventually it will turn to be like the games or maybe something that you make you lost in the short period of time. Mm. Yeah, and mm. I think my big takeaway is that trying to win back prior mm. losses is a very dangerous game. It's probably better that you take a break. Walk away, leave it, let your mind and your emotion get back on track, and then focus on that. That event already happened. I remember a story from uh, about 1995 or so. I had a fund manager come from London, and he was very famous fund manager and successful. And I was just a young guy, and he asked me about Bangkok Bank at the time, and I told him, "Well, the stock price has fallen, you know." X percent over the last six months, and over the last twelve months, it's fallen more. And I went through all this, and he's like, "I don't care what the stock did. I only care about what the stock is going to do." Mm. I mark to market my portfolio every day, and I was, you know, just a young guy. I mean, I kind of knew that, but I just got caught up in trying to give him this information. But it just reminded me that. What's done is done, and then the next thing you have to do is think: What's the best way to invest this money to get the return that I want to get? You know, over the next year or so. And in that case, it doesn't mean just because a stock went down, it could be the best one, or maybe not. But a lot of people get trapped in a situation where, particularly, they own a stock and it goes down and down and down, and then they say. I'm not going to sell it because you know I've lost a lot, 
on it. But really the question is, what is the best investment for this money right now? That's kind of one of the big things that I've learned. And, and I just think the danger of trying to recapture lost money is, is very, very difficult for the listeners. If you're in that situation, take a break. Anything you would add to that? Yeah, sure. Even though, you know, most of the time when you reduce the duration of the investment, mm. it, you know, destroy the beauty of the investment completely. For example, to me, it's like the, the company that made me broke. So actually afterward, after, you know, I completely lost my, you know, deposit. Okay. Completely. A decade later, the company grows like 10 backers. <laughs> yeah, it's like, even though the company is great, okay, when you try to win back your loss, when you try to make any, you know, decision in the very short period of time and your state of mind is not on the right spot, it still can be harmful. Mm. Mm, definitely. So based upon what you learned from this story and what you've continued to learn in your life, Let's think about a young person who's starting out investing. What one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Yeah, to me, it's like the very, very good lesson for me is like, you know, investment is not the game that you have a certain period of time. It's not like, a, you know, ping pong, football and stuff like that, that eventually it will end after some event. So basically, investment is the can stick to you with your time horizon, maybe for the whole life. So it's no need for to rush, okay, <laughs> for the investment. So basically, maybe sometimes you don't have to be like the richest guy in your city or in the world. But if you just, you know, want to be financially successful or you want to have just financial freedom, you can just stay in West. And let time to be like your friend. And, you know, if you don't rush, it would become easy to success if you try to invest in the right way. So what's a resource, either a resource of yours that you do, or maybe a book or a website or some other resources that you've used in the past that you'd recommend for our listeners? Oh, I use a lot. Okay. But a resource that I use right now is an okay paper resort. It's like the Bloomberg, stuff like that. The book I find is like, I have a plenty of book. You have a plenty mm. of book. You know, the different come from like after the COVID-19. So many of, you know, old theory is just, you know, scrap and then, you know, try to rebuild or gain. So I recommend, so basically right now, the resort that I think in Bangkok or maybe some mm. other place, around the world is a podcast right now i really love to listen to yeah to many podcasts that are live on the, the stream so basically just you know the refresh and then you know the, they have a very newly idea that you can follow okay mm, great great point and i mean i listen to podcasts a lot i i used to go to the park every morning and then i switched my routine to doing yoga at home and I kind of miss it because at the park, I would always listen to podcasts and it's, you know, as a strategist or as a thinker, as an investor, best ideas come away from your desk, you know, and I found mm -hmm. listening to podcasts would give me ideas. And many times I have to stop and think and rewind and, you know, and it's all for free. It's incredible. Great. 
(laughs) (laughs) All right. Last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? Mm. So my number one goal is should be about the work or maybe about the life. (laughs) Up to you. Anything. Okay. So my number one goal in the next, you know, 12 months is I try to create myself the society that I can rely on and, uh, you know, try to make friends talk about. I just, you know, turn like 40 for just, you know, a year. And I found that, you know, when your life is grow for some certain period of time, the number of people that around you or maybe the society that you can rely on is very, very small, small. And I want to, you know, expand that one. And I want to make my, you know, the society to be more intellectual and, uh, you know, more friendly for me in the future. Well, that's a, that's a great one. And for the listeners out there, you know, pick that up as a challenge for the next 12 months, find good people around you and get them closer. A couple of years ago, I, during the pandemic time, I was just so annoyed with how we couldn't really make contact. And so I started a mastermind group and we meet every Friday and we've met now for Mm -hmm. almost three years, let's say, and it's helped me build deeper relationships. So I think it's a good reminder for all of us in the year 2024, maybe it could be the year for all of us to build deeper relationships to our good friends and also make new friends that bring, you know, exciting new times to us. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. As we conclude, Dr. Joke, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Good luck, make friends and, you know, happy investing. Beautiful. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today. We added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.